Welcome to the podcast for Wenton Baptist Church. I pray God uses this message to bless you in Jesus' name. Today is Palm Sunday. And, you know, I want to just speak for a moment on purpose. Uh, we all have a purpose in life, and we, we live out that purpose, but sometimes our purpose changes. What, what is your purpose in life? What has God called you to do? Maybe it's to be a, a good mom. Maybe it's to be a good husband. Maybe it's to be a, 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 someone who provides for your family. That's your purpose. Maybe a, a, a relative, an aunt, uncle, grandmother, grandfather. What is your purpose? Uh, God has called us to have purpose in life. We know that Jesus, because of Palm Sunday, he was really reflecting, he knew what his purpose was. And we're going to see that this morning, that Jesus knew what his purpose was, because Palm Sunday is all about purpose. It was about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And not just any donkey, it was a donkey that was prophesied in Scripture in Zechariah 9.9. And it speaks to purpose. It also says in Isaiah chapter 50 that Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He knew what his purpose was. And that purpose involved you and I. And let's not forget that ever as we think about Palm Sunday and the purpose that he has for us. So my question to you is, what is your purpose now in life? There is a, a book that was written uh, perhaps a decade ago, I don't know. It has sold millions of copies. Uh, some even estimate maybe 60 million copies at this point. And it's a very popular book, popular, popular in our culture. And I don't know whether you agree with some of the teachings in it, but it's, overall it's a good book. Uh, it's born of a, by a pastor out west in California by the name of Rick Warren. And uh, from that book, it's called A Purpose Driven Life. Many of you have read it already. If you haven't read this book, it's a great book to pick up and read. Uh, for good devotional reading. Uh, he, he, in that book, there are several quotes about purpose, and I want to read some of those. It says this. He says, Nothing matters more than knowing God's purposes for your life, and nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success, wealth, fame, or pleasure. Without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. Also, he says, the greatest tragedy is not death, but life without a purpose. And he speaks to Cain, Cain and Abel. He said, when Cain sinned, his guilt disconnected him from God's presence, and God said, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. That describes most people today with wandering through life without a purpose. Without a clear purpose, you will keep changing directions, jobs, relationships, churches, or other externals hoping each change will settle the confusion or fill the emptiness in your heart. You think maybe this time it'll be different, but it doesn't solve your real problem, a lack of focus and purpose. Without a clear purpose, you have no foundation on which you base their decisions. Allocate your time and use your resources. Resources. You will tend to make choices based on circumstances, pressures, and your mood at the moment. People who don't know their purpose... Try to do too much. And that causes stress, fatigue, and conflict. Knowing your purpose gives meaning to your life. We were made to have meaning. This is why people try dubious methods like astrology or psychics or whatever, tarot cards, anything like that. Horoscopes. They try to discover their purpose. When life has meaning, you can bear almost anything. Without it, nothing is bearable. He also says here, without God, life has no purpose, and without purpose, life has no meaning. Without meaning, life has no significance or hope. You know that Jesus knew his purpose? 
He knew his purpose when he entered Jerusalem. His purpose was to do the will of the Father. John 4.34 says this. Jesus says this. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We see the purpose in Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, on the first Palm Sunday. This is the passage we're going to look at briefly for a moment about Palm Sunday. The, the gospel writer in Matthew says this as Jesus entered Jerusalem. He said, This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. This is Zechariah. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and just as, did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and, and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I want to show you just a brief uh, picture, perhaps. Maybe you've got something in your mind. This is a pic uh, another picture of what it might have looked like if Jesus entered uh, Jerusalem on a Palm Sunday. Let's watch this. Mute the live stream. It's possible. That's amazing. That's, that's the idea of, of the Palm Sunday. Did you think it would be like that? Palm Sunday, Jesus kind of riding through that? There's a, this is a, 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 a palm. Well, what's this all about? Palm. Palms and donkeys. Well, what does that actually mean? We talk about Palm Sunday all the time. So what, what does a palm actually represent? We, we in the Christian church, we talk about Palm Sunday. We have palms sometimes. Uh, what, what does it actually represent? Uh, you know, and where does this come from? Well, the palm branch was really a reminder of freedom that the Lord gave the Israelite nation when he delivered them from, Israel, from, from the, the Egyptian bondage. Now, he commanded them to celebrate this deliverance in something called the Feast of the Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths, or shelters, or tents. And so these Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, guess what they were covered with? They were covered with palms. Okay, That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday uh, because, or at least the Jews celebrated that up until this last Palm Sunday that Jesus entered Jerusalem. It's at that moment that the meaning of Palm Sunday changed. And so there were two different interpretations going on here as Jesus entered and rode in on a donkey. The people around him thought, yes, this is it. He's our king. He's going to deliver us on this, this 
celebration of the Passover week and Palm Sunday, here is this king, Jesus the Messiah. They've heard about him. There's a fever pitch and, and things are just going so nuts around Jerusalem. Here he is coming in, riding on a donkey. He's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9. Wow, this is the moment. They thought that their conqueror had came to deliver the nation of Israel from rule. They were wrong. They were wrong. He had not come to deliver them from any political rule. He had come to deliver them from the dominion of sin in their lives. And that would lead to the cross. So he had a greater victory over sin and death that they did not recognize. That was Jesus' ultimate purpose. Got it? When he came through. Now, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I love this. Donkeys uh, have a cross embedded in their fur. Look at that. Donkeys have a cross embedded in their fur. And how cool is it that Jesus the Messiah rode on a donkey and it had a cross? He was literally bearing up the Son of God. Now, what does a, a donkey have to do with this? Well, when a, a king rode into a town on a donkey, it suggested that he was bringing peace to that town. That's what it was. He was bringing peace to that town. He wasn't going to conquer them. He was bringing peace. So Jesus was riding in on a donkey. He was going to bring peace to Jerusalem, but he was also going to bring, bring, bring peace to your and my heart. We wouldn't have to stress over things. We, he was bringing this wonderful peace to us through the salvation that would be brought to us through the cross and what it would accomplish for you and I. He, he was going to accomplish God's plan and purpose for his life. As we study God's Word this morning, I want you to ask yourself, have I lived out God's purpose for my life yet? Is there something more out there that I haven't done yet? Or has my purpose changed? Uh, we all acknowledge that maybe there's not just one specific purpose for your life, but God is revealing things anew to you, and He's giving you a new purpose in life, a new lease on life, so to speak. What is your purpose? Is there a new thing that He's calling you to? What does the cross have to do with my purpose and God's plan for my life? Now we've studied the cross for the past four weeks, and today we finish the passage in Isaiah. Not with a whimper, but a resounding crescendo of a beautiful symphony masterly written by God the Father and lived out by God the Son. God has a purpose in the cross for us. Our passage gives three ideas. The sacrifice of Jesus reveals God in uh, His ultimate goodness. We sang about the good, good Father. It reveals the suffering of Jesus resulting in God's raising Him up from the dead, the resurrection. That's why we celebrate next, next Sunday, Easter. Hear me out. It's not about bunnies or eggs. It's about the Son of God raising from the dead in an empty tomb. That's what we, we, we must forever proclaim. That's what the resurrection in Easter is about. We celebrate the resurrection of, Easter, of, of Jesus every Sunday. And finally, it represents the victory of Jesus that resulted in future blessings for us. That's what this uh, all represented in the book of Isaiah. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, Isaiah chapter 53. And first of all, the point, my first point is this. The sacrifice of Jesus reveals God's ultimate goodness. Look what it says here in verse 53, chapter 53, verse 10. Says, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. 
Now, what immediately stands out to us as we read this passage, immediately, maybe for you and me, is that God was pleased to crush him. We can't wrap our heads around this idea that it was God's plan to kill Jesus. Or was it? Who killed Jesus? Did God kill God? Did man kill God? Was it the Roman soldiers that killed God? Was it Judas Iscariot that killed Jesus? We must be careful here not to read into the text something that the text does not mean. When it says pleased, it's said at the beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse, pleased, pleasure, pleased and pleasure, they're the bookends of, of the verse. I'll tell you what God was, was not pleased with. God was not displeased because he delighted in the death of innocent men. That's sadistic. That's not our God. That would make God cruel and mean. God was not displeased ever at any time with what Jesus did or how he lived his life or what he said. But rather, God was pleased. Why? Because Jesus willingly submitted himself to the will of the Father, the suffering of the cross, to show just how evil sin was. You want to know how bad sin is? How evil sin is? You just look at the cross. It was, uh, the, the cross was invented by the Persians, uh, and then the Romans kind of made it worse and worse 100 years, 100, about 300 years later. Uh, it was just a terrible, terrible means of execution. God was pleased because Jesus suffered. Why? For the redemption of you and I. The salvation of you and I. The redemption of, our, of his people. Now, the, the, in, it, the end of this uh, involved countless people coming to faith in Christ. God had the end in mind when he was, it says that he was pleased to crush him severely. What was he thinking? He was thinking about you and I. He was thinking about the end in mind. God had the end in mind. What's the end? Your salvation, my salvation, our hope, our hope of eternity. That's the point. The end in mind. That's the end. That's what God was pleased with. He was pleased not at the death of Jesus for death's sake, but for what his death accomplished. And there's a huge difference. There really is. I want you to see a picture of Mount Everest here. Uh, Mount Everest, huge mountain there. The tallest mountain, tallest peak in the world. About 29,000 feet. Uh, Mount Everest takes, uh, if, you're at, if you go to the base camp, base camp takes about 16, 17 days to get there. Uh, and at the bottom of base camp, from that point, it takes you 40 days to get to the summit, to get to the summit of Mount Everest. And it also, not only that, it, it costs about $75,000 to hire one of those Sherpas, right, to go to the, to the top of Mount Everest with you, to guide you. And that, you, that doesn't include all your gear and all your planning. And sometimes it takes about se- several months to even several years to condition your body to go on this journey. Only about 4,000 people have, have climbed Mount Everest. 4,000 people have climbed this mountain. And here are just a few of the hazards of climbing this incredible uh, summit. You can, you can die on your way up. You can die. You have frostbite, fatigue, hypothermia. And, you know, many climbers come down with physical and mental conditions because of the ox- oxygen that they've been deprived of. And they suffer conditions for the rest of their, rest of their lives. For doing that. The question remains, why in the world go through all this? Why try to summit that mountain when you have a chance to experience some of these, these, uh, these, these calamities? Well, uh, the answer is this. It's the top of the mountain. 
You've reached the top. It's the, it's the most amazing view in the world. You come up to, uh, to Mount Everest, it's, it's just an elite view. You're in a rare category here of people, rare company of people. That's why they do it. That's their end game. That's their end in mind. They have an end in mind. That's exactly why they make this huge investment. For God, he was willing, he was pleased to crush Jesus because of the end in mind, not how much pain it caused Jesus. God saw you, God saw me. Jesus saw you, he saw me, and he willingly submitted himself to the will of the Father and voluntarily gave up his life. For Jesus to be a guilt offering, it talks about being a guilt offering, when you make him a guilt offering. When he was a guilt offering, uh, he, he took upon our guilt. There was no guilt that Jesus had. Jesus never sinned, okay? He took our guilt, our guilt of sin before God. He took upon this guilt himself, and the guilt offering of the Old Testament, again, was to take, take this uh, animal that we, you, you sacrifice and you'd put your guilt upon this animal and God would accept that as his, your punishment. If, if you were going to be punished for sin, uh, God would say, you know what, I have a provision for you. I provided this lamb of sacrifice. I, I'm going to provide this for you so I don't have to punish you. All my wrath will go upon that lamb. Guess what? They had to do this over and over and over again every single year and lamb after lamb after lamb. It could never happen eternally. But Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God and did away with his sacrifice forever. No more sacrifices because Jesus was the perfect Son of God. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And the guilt offering, once and for all, is what he sacrificed for us. That was incredible beauty. And it also says that Jesus would see his, he would see his seed there in, in verse 10. He would see his seed, his offspring. What is that about? A lot of times it says you would be, you know, you, you were considered cursed if you didn't have children. Uh, before you died, that kind of thing. So Jesus is saying here, he's going to see his seed. He's going to have offspring. He's going to have children. Guess what? We are his children. We are the children of God. He was going to see his seed. That's a promise looking at uh, Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his resurrection power. And so this is, this is our end point. The resurrection is our end point, the point, our salvation. This is where we're headed towards. And it also leads to our next point. The suffering of Jesus resulted in God raising him from the dead. Look at that, verse 11. 11, it says this. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Uh, he will carry their iniquities. Amazing, amazing thing going on here. Now, most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with uh, the tunnels that you go to Virginia with. Uh, this is one of the tunnels there in Virginia. Uh, I think it's the, the, uh, the HRT tunnel as you're going through. As, as you're going through this tunnel, have you ever, when you approach that tunnel, have you ever played the game before you, you kind of hold your breath, you know, and you try to get through the tunnel? I don't, recognize you, I don't recommend you do that if you're driving. If you're the driver, don't try it, okay? I've tried it, and I made it out, but I scared my passengers half to death, okay? Don't, don't try that. Don't hold your breath in this tunnel, okay? It, it, it's... It'll defeat you. You'll pass out. You know, you'll, you'll just, it's crazy. But watch this. As, you, as you're driving through this tunnel, what do you see? What do you see at the end of that tunnel? You see light. You see light at the end of the tunnel, okay? So before you go into the tunnel, you see this big old dark hole. You know you're going into the tunnel, and oh my goodness, here I go. And yes, there's lights inside the tunnel. But as, as soon as you get out of that tunnel, there's relief. You're like, okay, I'm out of this tunnel finally. Boy, that was kind of scary. You're, you're just hoping and praying you're not going to bang into somebody as you're driving. You know, my first time through the tunnel was very, very precarious. But I made it. 
And my, my passengers made it safely. They kissed the ground as they got out of the car, but they made it, okay? And so that's for us. We, we love the light at the end of the tunnel stories. We, lo- we love that kind of experience. When we get out, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. For Jesus, life was his reward for enduring the suffering in the darkness on a cruel cross. A transaction took place. Jesus replaced his righteousness with our sin. He took it on, and we in turn received the righteousness of God. God doesn't look at our sin. What does he do? He looks at the righteousness of, us, of, of God, of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus became sin on our behalf. There was a word for that. It's justification. Jesus came through the tunnel. He was raised to dead, newness of life. God rewarded him with light on the other side. God rewarded him with life. And that means God also can reward us with life if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have this phrase sometimes that we use. Thank you, Jacob. We have this phrase sometimes that we use. It's called, uh, I'm good, right? We say, I'm good. We say it all the time. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Or if things are kind of stressed, or, hey, it's all good. It's all good. We, we kind of say that to kind of calm people down. I'm good. And we say this. But check it out. In Christ Jesus, you really are good. You really are good in Christ Jesus. You are made good in the truest sense of the word. You're made righteous before God. You are justified before God. You are put in right standing before God. Why? Because Jesus took our place. That's substitution. This whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 53 is about the substitutionary atonement where Jesus took my place and your place on the cross that we should have died for. We are ultimately good because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Without him, we're nothing. This is the power of God on full display. Why? At the empty tomb. The empty tomb says that it's all true. It's all true. We have a reason to celebrate every Sunday, not just on Easter, but next Sunday is going to be a great day nonetheless. And I hope you come to the drive-in service. But watch this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Watch this. Here's God's purpose in the cross. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You see that? Wicked men put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God, but God, great pause there, but God. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to hold down Jesus. What a word, what a statement. Impossible. It was impossible. If it was impossible... It was God's plan. Then imagine what that means for your purpose right now in your life. God's got a purpose for you, for you in your life right now. No matter if, if your life's in chaos right now, and you're whoa, Lord, what's going on here? God has a plan. God has a purpose. Now, is God responsible for and is he is he the author of evil? Absolutely not. He's not God does not uh, author sin, okay? Uh, no, it says no one can tempt God does not tempt people, okay? Uh, we get birth to sin by through our own sinful desires, okay? But God has a plan for you. You know, I'm not promoting prosperity theology or that God's going to bless you if you have enough faith. That's a lie. We need to watch out for lies like that. God has already blessed you through making salvation available to you and has called you to a higher calling in life. Not just to meander about life. God has given you great purpose. Find out what that purpose is. God has a purpose for you. It began at Calvary. It continues at the empty tomb and continues more in your life today. What are you going to do with God's purpose and plan for your life? He's got something for you. 
You're going to find out and discover what that is. Maybe some of you doubt, you know, I don't have a purpose in life. I just want to get through life. Just, just, Lord, just get me through the day. We say that sometimes. Just get me through this. God has a purpose for that. God, my time's gone. Let somebody else take the reins. No, you're still, you're still here. You're still breathing. God's given you a purpose. What can you do to expand your purpose? To serve your church? To serve your neighbor? What can you do that you're not doing? This is not guilting. This is saying God has empowered you. God has equipped you. He wants you to move. If the team that a guy by the name of Herb Brooks coached would have believed that they didn't have any purpose, then history would have never been made. You see, the U.S. hockey team of 1980, remember that story? Were the underdogs to the Soviet Union. And he says this, Coach Brooks knew otherwise. He knew their purpose or their moment was, was that night. And here's what he said before the game to the team. He says, great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have tonight here, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. We shut them down because we can You see, Herb knew that this team had a purpose for that night. And what a victory it was. It motivated a nation to see that their their time wasn't done yet. And it allows us also to see that we have purpose as well. The greatest opportunity for you and I is to live out our God-given purpose, which began at the cross and opened up at the empty tomb. It's as if we were now coming out out of the tunnel and could freely fulfill God's will and plan for our life. Here we go. I can see the light now. I'm ready, God, to take on your purpose. If we place our faith and trust in Jesus to take our sin and punishment and allow him to empower us through the Holy Spirit, then we can live an amazing life. It is possible. Our dark path would now become a shining light, a city on a hill for all to see. God has given you and I a great opportunity to show the world what a child of God on fire for Him can do. Let's get off the sidelines and get in the game and live for God. This is your moment. You weren't just born for this. Hear me, church. You were reborn for this. God calls you out for a purpose. There's hope in this life after all because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the point. That's the end game. This is our purpose, to impact every soul God sends our way. There are people sitting around you right now that God wants you to impact right now. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about to impact your family? What are you doing about to lead your family, your wife, your spouse, your husband? What are you doing about it? God's called you to a purpose. Life has a purpose and meaning, but only if it's grounded in a relationship with Christ. If, you're not, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're, never, you're just going to flail and flail and flail, and you won't discover your purpose. We have purpose in the cross. We see the goodness of God on the cross. We see the salvation of God in the resurrection. And finally, the victory of Jesus results in future blessings for all believers. Look at this last verse here of this chapter, verse 12. It says, therefore, in light of all that's happened, the sufferings of Jesus, therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death. You see that? Willingly? And he was counted among the rebels. That's you and I. Yet he bore the sin of many. That's you and I. And interceded for the rebels. That's you and I. You see, the NIV translates this a little bit differently. He said, and then it says, he will divide the spoils with the strong. 
You see, here we have the language of victory. The language that Jesus has won. Finally, at the end of the servant song, we see Jesus Christ, the victor, yet he does not share this victory alone. Guess what? He's, it's for you and I. He shares with it, us together, with every believer. There's an eternal reward for you and I in heaven. There's blessing for you and I right now in this life, the abundant life, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Is your cup overflowing right now or is your cup empty? Do you feel empty or do you feel full of the love of Jesus? He wants you and I to experience the victory that he has experienced on the cross and in the empty tomb. He willingly submitted to death that we might have life again. He bore our sin, yet now He intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. God is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying that you'll have the victory. He's saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, the victory is yours. What has defeated you? Is there something that has defeated you right now? Are you defeated by emotion? Sometimes emotion can get the best of us, get the best of all of us. Has your emotion defeated you? Are you defeated by some sin that you just can't shake? Are you defeated by the, the lockdown? Or do you get a, a feeling of being down sometimes? You just can't shake that either. Maybe you're defeated by fear. You want, you're just kind of afraid. You're, you're kind of scared to get out. You're kind of, what if? You play the what if game. Are you def, that, that's defeating. Or maybe something just rubs you the wrong way and just shatters your day. Oh, well, my day's shot now. What are you defeated by? Let Jesus give you the victory. Can you do that? Let Jesus Christ give you the victory. You don't have to let temporary things, hear me out, take your joy away, which is eternal. God has given you an incredible hope. He has shared this great victory with you through his suffering on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-58 says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But... There it is again, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't give up. If you've had a bad day, don't give up. If you had a bad week, don't give up. The victory is already yours. If you've had some bad news come your way, for you were a family member, don't give up. Don't give up on them. If people let you down, don't give up on them because they too, guess what, can experience the victory that you have and that you've been placed there for a reason. You must see your purpose. You've been placed there for a reason in their lives. We need to act and not just let, you know, we, this just can't happen through osmosis. We can't, this, this is not going to happen. Okay? You have to act. God has equipped you to speak words. To love un unconditionally, to love self self selflessly, we must get ourselves out of the way. Confess your sin, God. I'm, I'm prideful. It's not about me, God. It's never been about me. We need to live in victory because we can bless other people. Why? Because God's blessed us and Christ has served us on the cross. The victory is yours because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Fear has been defeated. Anxiety has been defeated. Sickness has been defeated. Depression has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Walk in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Palm Sunday. 
This is the victory that Jesus Christ rode to Jerusalem for you and I to experience on the cross and the empty tomb. I pray that you have the victory in the Lord Jesus through the ministry of the suffering servant. He suffered for you and I that we might live and walk in joy and hope and peace and let other people know, hey, I know what the end game is. I've read the end of the book. We win in the end. Would you come along with me for a great ride? It's going to be awesome. It's not going to be pain-free, but Jesus has come to walk with us through that. Would you pray with me?